Jesus said to his disciples, Now, when these things begin to take place, stand up, raise your heads, because redemption is drawing near. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. I spent the last week in Richmond, Virginia, uh, at an Episcopal retreat center called Rosman. Uh, some of you know that I applied for a leadership program a little more than a year ago, and I was accepted. And part of the leadership program was providing a space uh, for uh, a group of clergy from Virginia to gather every other month for a week. They would provide uh, room and board and food and uh, lecturers and books and so on and so forth for, for six weeks across the year uh, so that we, as pretty much young clergy, could grow in our own leadership, think about our leadership, and make plans for how we want to lead the church in the future. So this week was the, the final of the six times that I got together with these clergy, and you guys know each other pretty well, and we serve all over the state. It was a really, really great time. And on one of our final days, we spent know, eight hours in this classroom, and we were reading, doing some self-reflecting, we were listening to a lecture, and we ended the night in worship. Beautiful chapel on the property with these giant windows you can see out over Richmond. And we were praying together, we were singing together. We finally ended, and I just felt this like peace. The Holy Spirit had washed over me. I had finally come to the conclusion of this thing. I was so excited to start implementing some of these new ideas I had at our church. While we were getting ready to leave, a friend of mine, a new clergy friend of mine, kind of came up and he said, Hey, you want to get out of here? I said, Well, what do you mean? He said, I think we should go drive around and look at Christmas lights. <laughs> so if you know anything about me, uh, being cooped up in a room all day long, reading and being lectured to, and then going to worship late in the evening, the thing I really want to do most is get in the car and go look at Christmas lights. Amen? <laughs> oh, friends, we got in the car and we started driving around Richmond. None of us are from Richmond. So we're just driving around the streets and we're hoping to find Christmas lights because surely... It's almost December at this point. Someone's got to have Christmas lights up. So we drove around and we went by house after house after house without a light in sight. And then we passed one with like, you know, just the one strand of, of icicles hanging from the gutter. We think, come on, people, you can do better than that. So then we started heading toward the rich neighborhoods, the wealthy neighborhoods. And we got in there, there's big, big mansions, lots of lights, you know, with color coordinated things all over the place. The house with one solitary candle in every single of their 65 windows. <laughs> so we took it all in. We were driving around and having a good time. And we're, we're kind of hoping for something to end the night. You know, one final good house. And we come around the corner of the street and we see light shining that would make Clark Griswold jealous. <laughs> this house had more lights than you could possibly imagine. And it was this massive property, and it was so bright you could see the house lit up across the street that had no lights on. It was just burning bright, burning, burning bright. So we pulled up, and I mean, it was beyond our imaginations. We pulled up, there was a sign for a radio station. If you tuned your car to 89.1, you could listen to Christmas music they had playing in their house, and it was timed up perfectly with the lights flickering across their lawn. I said, friends, we've come to the promised land. This is it right here. 
That house had a horseshoe driveway in their front yard that allowed you to get close to the house so you could drive into their property and you were surrounded on both sides with every possible Christmas assortment of lights you could imagine. All the while listening to Christmas songs. And so we pull in and the first thing we see, there are three little elves about my waist height, all with instruments, and they're bopping away. The Christmas tree. And they're having, you know, all smiling. We're all smiling. We're theologians, okay? We're pastors, and we've got our face squished up against the window. We're so excited to see this. On the roof of the house, there are the words, let it snow, and the letters are as tall as I am. There was not a foot that wasn't covered in the light. And then in the middle of the yard were inflatable, I don't characters that have nothing to do with Christmas. I saw Lightning McQueen, and Mater, and Minions, and Yoda, and Darth Vader, and R2-D2, which I love, but don't have anything to do with Christmas. <laughs> there was uh, a trailer with a little outhouse that had its own Christmas lights on it. I mean, you could not believe how incredible this place was. We did the loop three times. You know, we finished it, we said, let's go do it again. So we did it a second time. Let's do it one more time. We did it a third time. Again, we're all rational adults who serve God's church. <laughs> so we're, yeah, we're all big kids. So we make the third and final loop through this driveway, just taking in all the lights and everything. And I noticed something very strange. And I was a little embarrassed that it took me three times through to notice it. I didn't see Jesus anywhere. No major scene. No Mary. No Joseph. No wise man, no angel, no sheep, no shepherd. And only then in the third time through, I started looking for it. And there, far tucked away in the corner by the garage, as if an afterthought, was a teeny tiny little angel scene. I thought the excitement I've experienced for 20 minutes, every light, every song, every inflatable thing had absolutely nothing to do with Jesus. It's like this house, these, these people whose electric bill must be absurd. It's like they want Christmas without Christ. They want all the trappings, they want all the singing, they want all the things we celebrate. But the last thing they thought about was the reason why. It is strange. It is strange to be a Christian today. To gather in a place like this, with all of the expectations of the world. I don't know if you know this, but the Christmas carols started playing on the radio before Thanksgiving this year. The department stores had all the decorations up for Christmas before Halloween. Some of us did our holiday shopping in July. And now we come to church. You know, to finally catch up with this season that we've been preparing for. And what do we hear from God's word? What did Rick read to us? Do we hear about Santa? No. Do we even learn about a young virgin named Mary? No. Do we catch a glimpse of a cute little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes? No. Instead, we start the beginning of the year. We start Advent with not the beginning, but the end. This is not the sweet baby Jesus away in a manger. It's the stern adult Jesus, picturing the whole of the universe being turned upside down. But what about the city sidewalks, busy sidewalks, dressed in holiday style? No, none of it. What happened to all the fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la's? None of it. 
Where are the chestnuts roasting on an open fire? No, we don't get any of that. We get the end. We get destruction. Advent, for better or worse, mostly worse, it has moved far from what it once was. Now, in Advent, we imagine it as this awful time of participating in the virtue of patience all the way up till Christmas morning when we finally get to open up all those gifts. But that's not really what Advent is about at all. Advent is the recognition that we are people who are stuck in the middle. We are a people living in the in-between. Because we already know what happens on Christmas morning. We are aware of the Messiah child named Jesus. We know what he will do for the world. And yet now we are waiting for his return. We do this. We do this as Christians in the midst of a horribly unpredictable world. We have to be people of patience, but it is a confused patience. We await for his arrival. We await for his return. It's confusing. It's enough to give you a headache. But that's Advent. It's head-scratching, it's incarnating, it's frustrating, and it's all about waiting. Waiting for the end. Because the end, whatever that might mean, is often shrouded in fear and foreboding. You know, the wayward person on the street corner with a sign, the end is near, is not often regarded with joy or with gratitude. When we hear about the end, it makes the hair on the back of our neck stick up as we think about existential dread. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat it with the disciples. He says things are going to be really bad. The whole of the cosmos, not just the earth, but all of the universe is going to experience the dynamic shifting of things. The sun and the moon and the earth and all people below. There will be distress among the nations and among the peoples of the planet who won't be able to make sense of all these senseless things. People are going to faint from fear when they begin to experience what is coming upon reality. Because everything is going to lose its sure foundation. And then, and only then, will they see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and glory. This is kind of the message from Jesus again and again to the disciples. The world will fall apart around you, but you need not be afraid. Jesus says, I have overcome this broken world. So be patient in your waiting just before the dawn. Because in the midst of darkness, there are strange and even redeeming things afoot. Because that's Advent in a nutshell. Look up, pay attention, and be ready. Advent compels us to prepare ourselves for the two arrivals of God. The arrival as a baby born in a manger and the arrival of God to redeem all of the brokenness in this world in the future. As Christians, this is how we begin the Christian year. Not with a moralistic lesson about making uh, better plans for the future. Not with a story about how you need to get better resolutions this year. No, we start the year at the end. Jesus names and claims this truth. He says all these things are going to pass away. But he doesn't leave his disciples with their tails tucked between their legs. He says, consider the fig tree. As soon as a sprout leaves, you can see for yourself and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these crazy and frightening things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. It's a prophecy, an apocalyptic prophecy. It's a vision of the future, that expectation and anticipation, but not the kind we're used to. You and I, we are living in a time where hope is limited to what we can imagine. We go through the motions of waiting for something waiting for the next holiday, waiting for the next life change, but without really knowing what we're actually waiting for. 
And so we get used to things like the stores having up the decorations months in advance, and we shrug our shoulders when we go through a Christmas light show and see Jesus tucked away in the corner. The real Advent, the real kind of anticipation is the anticipation and expectation of the end of things, the end of time, my time, your time, and everything in between. We're not just waiting for the baby to be born. We're waiting for that baby to come back, to rectify all that has been made wrong. Being a Christian, it's strange. Jesus is describing an expected reign of God's kingdom on earth. And though he speaks about life falling apart, he also does so with descriptions of summer, of new beginnings, of buds beginning to burst. For some strange reason, we miss that beautiful and hopeful little detail. And instead, we only focus on the things being destroyed. And you know what? There are plenty of things in our world that need to be destroyed. There are many things that we need to abandon. There are plenty of things that need to be crucified. There's a church in Durham, North Carolina, United Methodist Church, that uh, I I knew when I was living there, that uh, has a member, a church member who's been there for decades. His name is Samuel. He's been worshiping there for a very, very long time. Uh, he's, he's Mexican, and he's not a legal citizen. He's been worshiping there, worshiping there. And about a year ago, he wanted to apply for citizenship, to go through the process to become a legalized citizen. But because he had been here so long without the proper documentation, when he started to prepare himself to go to the authorities, they said, we're going to deport you. And so he went to his pastor, and he said, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I want to do the right thing, but if I do the right thing, they're going to force me to leave. And you know what the pastor said? You can have sanctuary in our sanctuary. You can live at the church. He has lived in their building for 11 months. He has slept there every night. He's eaten every meal there. He has bathed there. Imagine, imagine being in this building for 11 months. This last week, uh, he heard through the proper authorities that after being in sanctuary for as long as he was, that he could go now to the authorities and they would help him go through the the right paths to citizenship. And so he got together with the pastor. He left the church for the first time in 11 months. He went to the building and do you know what happened? They tackled him to the floor and they arrested him to deport him. So they put him in a van in the parking lot. And the pastor called a lot of people from the church. And he said, Samuel needs our help. And so about 25 church members arrived on the scene and they grasped hands and they surrounded the van in a circle. And they started singing Amazing Grace. Because they said, you're not going to take our friend away from us. And you know what happened? All 25 of them were arrested. It's a United Methodist Church in North Carolina. There are some things in this world that are broken that have to be destroyed before new life can arrive. I have friends, parents, who just found out that one of their children is gay. And they go to United Methodist Church. A United Methodist Church with a pastor who stands up regularly and says, if you're gay, you are incompatible with Christian teaching. Imagine if you can, that was your child. Or it was you, and you went to church on a Sunday morning, and a pastor said, you or your child is incompatible with Christian teaching. Or think about the child I met yesterday, an offhand conversation, who told me he falls asleep hungry every single night. 
And he has no hope that that will ever change. There are some things in this world that are just so broken, the only way for new life to arrive is for them to be destroyed. And that is what Jesus describes to us here at the beginning of the year and at the end of time. God will destroy all of this. Because the only way you can have new life is if something has died. The only way you can have resurrection is to first have crucifixion. So Jesus speaks to us here at the beginning of a new year. He says, open your eyes. Open your ears. Because it is in the opening of these things that we really begin to see that the end is actually a beginning. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God now and forever. Amen. Amen.